And I want to, to keep this point in mind because someone must think, oh, this, this brother now, he's doing away with the Torah, he's doing away with the law. And there are a lot of people who love the Torah, who love the law, who are even zealous for the law, for the Torah. So what does it mean when we say that? There is something that is better that God has in store for us in the New Covenant, brothers and sisters. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Nader Mansour, and I pray this message will draw you closer to Jesus. All right, the, the title of our study this evening is the New Covenant Torah. And uh, looking at the New Covenant Torah uh, is a subject already, I'm sure your mind is, uh, is thinking ahead, okay, what's this going to be about? Uh, New Covenant Torah. The word Torah in the scripture is used, I'll just explain that for those who might not know, this is what it looks like in Hebrew. And the word Torah means law or direction or instruction. God's law or God's direction or God's instruction. It's a Hebrew word, uh, Torah, and uh, it's a fairly common one, but just in case you are not sure of what it means, uh, this is what it means. And generally it is used to refer to the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, the books of the law or the Torah. This is how it is used and this is uh, the biblical understanding of it. When we talk about the, the new covenant, because we're talking about the new covenant Torah or the law of the new covenant, when we talk about the new covenant, uh, again, all kinds of ideas spring to mind. So hopefully today we can lay aside some of these ideas and see what the scripture has to say and then re-examine those ideas and see if they are in harmony with the scripture or not. So the Torah is God's revealed will, God's revealed instruction. What about the new covenant? In the Bible, when we talk about the new covenant, we talk all the time, you know, the new and the old covenant, right? The Bible, we don't have that term or that phrase in one place, old covenant. We have references to it, but we don't have any phraseology as, uh, as far as saying the Old Covenant, particularly in the Old Testament. And so where does that come from? It comes from one particular passage in the Bible uh, that refers to the New Covenant. And from that we understand, well, if there is a new one, there must be an old one. So what passage is that? That's the famous passage in Jeremiah. And uh, Jeremiah mentions this New Covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 down to 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. Before we keep reading, just a couple of points here. For the first time ever, God now reveals through the prophet Jeremiah this thing called the New Covenant. No one had ever heard of it before that time. It was never talked about. Jeremiah is the first prophet to ever talk about this thing called the New Covenant. And as soon as he says New Covenant here, it immediately indicates that something else is old. And God says another feature of this covenant is it is not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers. So in other words, that's the covenant that is now old. We want to explore that a little bit uh, as we go along. Anyway, we'll continue with our verses. Verse 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make 
with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law, and the word there is Torah, in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be and will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbors uh, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This new covenant has the Torah, it says, written where? In the heart. We want to explore that a little bit. Because when we talk about the Old Covenant, we talk about the New Covenant, we talk about the Torah, many times a lot of people understand that the Torah of the New Covenant is nothing other than the Torah of the Old Covenant. Is this what God is talking about? And uh, one of the reasons why people believe that is this particular passage and this particular word, and this is how you'll find the meaning of the word. What is God saying here? What can we actually learn? So the few points I want to draw that I want us to keep in mind as we progress is when Jeremiah made these words, immediately from that time on, it indicated that the current covenant of the time was old because there was a new one coming. And that new one was still coming. In other words, it is in the future. And an important feature of this new covenant is that it is different to the Old Covenant, God says, not according to the covenant which I made with your fathers. There's going to be something different about this new covenant. And it will have God's Torah or law written in the hearts. Which law is being referred to here and how will it be written in our heart? This is our purpose in examining the meaning of that. Because as I said, uh, this particular passage many times is actually misunderstood. And in misunderstanding that, it opens the door to many different conclusions built on that. The Apostle Paul uses this particular passage as his foundation for his argument in the entire epistle to the Hebrews. Interesting, this is the only mention of the New Covenant in the Old Testament, in those particular phrases. It's referred to in other aspects, but specified as the New Covenant. This is Paul's argument. And he makes that very point that we just mentioned in Hebrews 8 and verse 13. He says, in that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Where did God say a new covenant? In Jeremiah. So that's what he's referring to. So he's saying, as soon as that was revealed in Jeremiah, in that he saith, a new covenant, he made the first one old. A lot of people read this passage and they understand that Paul is referring to his current time that the old covenant was in place at his time and waxing old at his time. This is not what Paul is talking about. Paul is saying, as soon as Jeremiah said a new covenant, it began, the old one began, became old and began to wax away, ushering in the new covenant. This is what he's talking about. And he says, it decays, it waxes old, and it is ready to vanish away. Of course, when Jeremiah wrote that, he was living under this first covenant or old covenant. Which covenant was that? was the covenant that was made at Mount Sinai, the one that God came down on the mountain with the children of Israel, and he made this covenant with them. I want to briefly review some of these uh, features of this old covenant so that we can appreciate what God means when he talks about the new covenant. God takes, Egypt, uh, God takes Israel out of Egypt. He brings them to Mount Sinai, and this is what it says, Exodus 19, 3 and 4. And Moses went up unto God, 
the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which, which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. These were the terms of the covenant that God is making here. A few points to keep in mind. God calls this covenant, whose covenant? His covenant. So whose idea was it? It was God's idea. And God gave the conditions of this covenant. The conditions of this covenant are very simple. It's a statement of if... And therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you will be blessed with all these different things that he lists in the verses. This is important. These were the conditions of this covenant that God made and God initiated with Israel. And we told Moses, this is why he was to tell the children of Israel. And of course, this instruction and this, uh, the details of the covenant are what we understand to be the Torah. And God specifies that as well, because this covenant had a Torah. Of course, the people returned an answer, and they said, yes, of course, all, the Lord that ha all that the Lord has said we will do. And then God said, okay. And then he gives the list of the instructions that he told them, if they obey, they will be blessed. And this is how it's put. Deut uh, Exodus 24 uh, and verse 12. These are the instructions that follow. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, the word there is, Torah, and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. Of course, the conditions of the covenant were laid out in Exodus 19, and then when the people agreed, the first thing that God said begins in Exodus 20. What's in Exodus 20? The Ten Commandments. God speaks them with a voice, and then he calls to Moses, says, come up, and I'm going to write down what I said with my voice. And he writes down this law. He refers to it as the Torah. Of course, we know it's the Ten Commandments because it's written on these tables of stone. And then it says this in Deuteronomy 4, verses 12 to 14. And the Lord spake unto you, out of the midst of the fire, ye heard the voice of the words, but, but saw no similitude, only ye heard the voice. And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform even... Ten commandments. And he wrote them upon two tables of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that ye might do them in the land whither ye go over to possess it. These two verses tell us something very interesting. The Torah and the covenant are used interchangeably. And the, found, the first thing that God said in this covenant, in this Torah, was the ten commandments. But it's not the, only the ten commandments. It's all the other different statutes and judgments and all the instructions that he gives. And the whole covenant was based on this contract of, if you obey, then you will be blessed. Okay, now why am I going to such great detail? Because many times, brothers and sisters, we're confused when it comes to the new covenant and what it involves. So I'm going to detail to look at the old covenant. Because God says that the new covenant is not according to the covenant that he made with the fathers. That's the fathers of Jeremiah and the nation of Israel. with me? So as we understand properly the old, it helps us actually appreciate and understand the new and what is different about the new. And particularly what we want to focus on is the Torah of this new covenant. What is that that God is 
referring to when he says he will do that. <clears throat> now, this was the covenant that Jeremiah was living under when he made the prophecy of, of the new. It was his forefathers that stood at the base of Mount Sinai and agreed and entered into this covenant with God. And he records that there's something new coming. Now, before we go on, I want to deal with a couple of uh, fallacies here as far as the covenant is concerned uh, that, that actually distort the picture and understanding what the co uh, new covenant is. I've heard it said, maybe you have to, but I've heard it a few times, that there is no such thing as new covenant. It's actually the renewed covenant. Are you familiar with that? Okay, some are yes, some are no. A lot of people say it's actually the renewed covenant. It's not a new covenant. God's not going to do anything new or different. It's actually a renewed covenant. And usually, people who make that claim uh, generally are people who are from kind of, you know, either messianic type uh, backgrounds or Hebrew roots backgrounds that want to maintain somehow some part of the Mosaic law. And so this is an important part of their theology that the new covenant is a renewed one, it's not actually a new one. Well, what does God actually say? The word for new is, I don't know how to pronounce that, so I'm not going to pronounce it, but here are the Strong's Hebrew uh, numbers there, uh, numbers for the Hebrew word. The word for new is this one here, 2319, and the word for renew is 2318. So they're right next to each other. And if you look at them, they're pretty much identical, right? Except for... The jots and the tittles, right? The jots and the tittles make a big difference, brothers and sisters. It makes a difference in the meaning, it makes a difference in the pronunciation and therefore the meaning. But very obviously, our English word new and renew are very similar. Renew has the root of new in it, okay? So it's a very small change that we make to the word new and it has a different meaning. Now here's an easy question. Which one of those two do you think is in Jeremiah's prophecy when he says, I will make a new covenant? Okay, you can do your own homework, 2319, it's the one on the right. It's not renew, it's actually new. Here's another use of the same one in uh, Exodus 1 and verse 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. This was not a renewed king, this was a new king. This was a different king, another one. Okay, so this is how the word is used. This is what God is meaning when he talks about the new covenant. Something different is coming, because if you think about it, the new covenant... If it's the renewed covenant, that means it's still the old covenant, just freshened up or rehashed or repackaged somehow. But this is not the intention that God is making. It's not the, the meaning God wants us to understand. There's something new, something actually different. We know that because he told Jeremiah, it's actually not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers. That's an important and significant point. The other fallacy I want to also address is a lot of people say, well, the new covenant's actually not here yet. It's still future to us. In all honesty, I don't know why anyone would want to believe something like that. That is not good news at all. Because if the new covenant is still future for us, brothers and sisters, it's not here yet. You know what that means? We are still under what? The old covenant with all its details and specifications and instructions. Every single one. That's not good news. Because it ignores a very important event that ushered in the new covenant. And uh, 
If that event, of course, the event I'm referring to is the coming of Christ, dying and rising and going to heaven as a man. In all honesty, if you think about it, if the coming of Christ, which is the greatest event really in the history of this planet, if the coming of Christ into the stream of time, into the human race, living and dying and resurrecting and going to heaven, if that fails to bring in the new covenant, then what greater event are you waiting for to usher in the new covenant? What greater thing can God do than his son coming, dying and rising, going to heaven to indicate that the new is here? Some people say, well, it's the second coming. The second coming, brothers and sisters, is an event based on what Christ accomplished when he came on earth. It's not a greater event than that. It is a great one. Don't get me wrong. It's the greatest thing we're looking for. But the plan of salvation, the center and foundation of the plan of salvation is the death and the resurrection of Christ. That is the greatest event. And that's what ushers in this new covenant. As we shall explore it a little bit, the book of Hebrews brings that out a few times. Uh, here is one passage that says it. Hebrews 10 and verse 9, Paul says, Then said he, Lo, I come in the, uh, to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. In Hebrews chapter 8, Paul quotes the prophecy of Jeremiah and basically is saying, it's here, it's been fulfilled. Then chapter 9, he goes into the details of the different specifications and the, the types of the old covenant, the sanctuary and the different services that were involved in it, to indicate that something has changed. Then he says in 10 here, when Christ came, he takes away the first that he may establish the second. That's the old and the new. The difference or the point of transition is Christ. And then a few verses later in verses 16 to 18 of the same chapter is what he says. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of this is, there is no more offering for sin. He quotes Jeremiah, right? Indicating that that covenant or that prophecy has been fulfilled. That covenant is here. And this is his proof, that last part in the verse. His proof that it's here is that where there is remission of sin, there is no more offering for sin. He's saying the fact that proves to you that this covenant is here, that God fulfilled it, is that there are no more offerings required for sin. The ultimate final offering has come. It's the, that offering is the core and the heart of the new covenant. That's his point. That's the transition marker between the old and the new. And so this is his proof. And this is how he understood that particular passage. We're going to explore this offering of Christ, him being the heart of the, of the new covenant and what that means. <clears throat> I want to look at the differences between the Old and the New Covenant, at least a few of them that we want to focus on. But before I do, I want to look at the similarities first, because there are similarities and there are differences. Both are called covenants. These are the similarities. Both have a Torah. Both are made with the house of Israel. Important points, similarities. Now we come to the differences, and we're going to expand those a little bit. The differences are one is temporary, the other is eternal. One is shadowy, the other is the substance or the reality. And another word for shadowy in the scripture, or it's not a word in scripture, but another concept or a word that we use is type and antitype. So type means it's symbolic, it's representative. The new, of course, is the antitype or the fulfillment or the 
reality of that. The old covenant, according to Paul in the book of Hebrews, made how many things perfect? Nothing. He says the law made nothing perfect. What about the new? The new is referred to as the better hope, and it actually makes perfect. And one is earthly, the other is heavenly. Many other differences, but this will do for now. Just to see that there is something to what God says when he told Jeremiah, it will be not according to the covenant which I made with your fathers. And more particularly, we want to uh, look at the Torah of that covenant, but we have to see some context. The conditions of the old covenant are summarized in this verse according to Paul. Galatians 3.12, he says, And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. What's he referring to here? When he says the law. Paul is a Hebrew writing. What is Paul in his mind thinking and meaning when he writes law? It is Torah. That's what he's talking about. He says the Torah is not of faith. And then he says, but this is, this is how the Torah or this covenant was. The man that does them will live in them. If you do, you will be blessed. That's what the Torah or that covenant was based on. What about the new? To many people, the new covenant is based on the same thing. You realize that? To a lot of people, the new covenant is simply the law of the old covenant written somewhere else. The only difference is where it's written. There it was written in stone. In the new, it's written in the heart, but it has the same conditions. Maybe even you believe that. I don't know. But it is a common belief. It's actually a misunderstanding of the covenant. There is a difference. What are the conditions of the new covenant? We're all new covenant Christians, right? If I ask you to put your hand up, everybody will put their hand up. But many times, you know what we profess with the lips? is another story to what we actually understand in our mind. We need to go a little deeper. How do we view this new covenant? Is it a contract that God makes with us? We consider ourselves the house of Israel. Spiritually, of course, we consider ourselves the recipients of these promises. Does God say the same thing? Here is a law. I'm going to write it on your, your heart. If you obey it, you will have a blessing. This is what the new covenant is to many people, brothers and sisters. It is not that. Here is the conditions, or here are the conditions summarized uh, for us. Our next verse, John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I want to contrast these two verses because the condition here to be blessed with everlasting life is what? Believing on the Son. The most common word we use for that is faith. Are you looking to take your Bible study to the next level? Do you want to learn how to apply the Word of God in your daily life and share it more effectively with others? My Bible Academy is your online Bible school, offering a free, comprehensive, and dynamic program designed to deepen your understanding and engagement with the Bible. Take the next step in your spiritual growth and enroll to start a course at My Bible Academy today. The courses are designed to equip you with the tools and knowledge you need to share your faith with others. Visit nadamansour.com to enroll and start your learning journey today. That's nadamansour.com. See you there. Faith 
in the sun, receiving the sun, believing the sun, you receive this blessing. It's different to obey and live. This one is believe and live. There is a difference. And if there is a difference in the conditions, there is also definitely a difference in the law or the Torah of each covenant. I know this is a hard saying for many people. Hear me out before you switch off, please. And then we can discuss after. Because we want to see what the scripture has to say about that. Because, you know, I, I, it sounds outrageous to imply. The Torah change? Who do you think you are? This is God's Torah. God doesn't change. How can you come here and tell us the Torah changes? The Torah is consistent. What changes is its location, its application. But it's the same law because the law is God's a reflection of God's character. God is eternal. The law is eternal. And you're familiar with that line of reasoning, right? And to even suggest that the Torah changes means it's temporary. And uh-oh, what are you doing? Right, this is a, a natural way for us to think. So you might be thinking that, and, and maybe some red flags are going up in your mind. I, I'm familiar with this, this line of thinking, so just hear me out. And particularly hear the scriptures out and see what the scripture says. In light of what John the Baptist says there in John 3, I want you to notice something that Paul emphasizes. Because Paul was in the New Covenant, he was trying to, to show the superiority of the New Covenant to the Old. This is why he begins his verse, verse in Galatians 3.12. He actually says, and the law is not of faith. What's he talking about? The Torah. The Torah was not of faith. In other words, in order to be blessed, you did not have to exercise faith. You realize that? All you had to do was obey. If you obey, you met the conditions, God blessed you. If you did not obey, God did not bless you. So Paul is making a contrast here. He says, listen, he's writing to the Galatians. He says, look, the Torah, the law is not of faith. But the conditions were, if you obey, you will live. And he's presenting to them in that epistle and other places, the better way of faith. He's talking to them about the covenant now that is based on faith. This is why he's making this particular point. Now, contrasting the two, and when we say there is a difference between the two, uh, Paul actually... God indicated through Paul that there would be a change of the law or the Torah. This is the passage. I want to focus on a little bit as well. It's Hebrews 7.12. He says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. How many times have you read this verse? This verse is in the Bible, brothers and sisters. Okay? Meaning this. God revealed to us through Paul what will change. The law will change. And the evidence that the law is changed is that the priesthood is changed. We're not going to go into details about the change of priesthood. That's for another time. But when Paul writes and says, a change also of the law, which word is in his mind as a good Hebrew? The Torah. Mm -hmm. Which Torah would change? Of the old covenant. Because in that book, he's expounding on the change between the old, or from the old to the new. This is why we're saying there is a change. And the word change there means the removing of something and establishing something else. God would change the Torah. Well, why is that? And if he's going to change the Torah, well then, what is the Torah of the new covenant? Well, that's the question we want to find the answer to. 
but that's why we need to understand the difference between the two. <coughs> you see, just like the new covenant is superior to the old, so the Torah of the new covenant is superior to the old. It's something better. And I want to, to keep this point in mind because someone wants to think, oh, this, this brother now, he's doing away with the Torah, he's doing away with the law. And there are a lot of people who love the Torah, who love the law, who are even zealous for the law, for the Torah. So what does it mean when we say that? There is something that is better that God has in store for us in the new covenant, brothers and sisters. Too many times we get so caught up and confused between the old and the new covenant and we stick with the old Torah in the new one, and we miss out on the better thing. That's what we want to find out. God clearly indicated that the covenant or the Torah, uh, sorry, the contract or the covenant made at Mount Sinai, He clearly indicated that it's temporary, it would last for a certain time. Galatians 3.19 tells us, Wherefore then serveth the law. Again, what word is this in Paul's mind? And it means all of it, because many times when we read some of these passages, particularly if we're from, uh, say, an Adventist background, the law is important to us. Every time we see the law, we think only the Ten Commandments. But God gave them all of them in one package. And when God gave the Old Covenant, the first thing that came out of His mouth after they agreed was the Ten Commandments and everything else. And all this was written in the book of the law called the Torah. And it was kept in the side of the ark. Right? So when Paul says the law, this is what he understands. We need to understand in the same way he did. What then serves the, wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. The law, and we saw that this was interchangeable with the covenant, would last until the seed should come. When is the coming of the seed? Of course, that's the coming of Christ. The word seed there means the offspring. Christ would come as a man. When Christ would come as a man, something would change. There would be a change in the priesthood. There will be, therefore, a change also of the law because now the new covenant is going to be impl implemented and this new covenant has a Torah. But it is not according to the covenant that was made with the fathers. This is what God indicated clearly. And this is what the Jews failed to recognize, as we shall see as well. So which, <clears throat> which law here is, is this referring to? The law that was given at Sinai. A few verses earlier it says the law which was 430 years after the promise was made to Abraham. So the whole purpose of the Torah, of the Old Covenant, the whole purpose of the Old Covenant was really to point forward to the coming of the seed. It was a type or a picture or a sign or whatever word you want to use. The scripture uses the word shadow as well. It was to point forward to something better that was coming. Here's a verse that brings that out. Romans chapter 10, well, that, that explains this. There, Romans 10, 4 tells us, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. When was the last time you used this verse in a Bible study with someone? We don't quote this verse often because either we misunderstand it or we don't like what we think it says. Christ, he says, is the end of the law. And I'm going to say it as Paul would understand it, the end of the Torah, correct? For righteousness to everyone that believeth. 
This is the condition for which covenant? The new. Believing or faith is a condition for the new covenant. And Paul is saying here, Christ is the end of the law or the Torah. What does the word end mean here? This is what a lot of people misunderstand. That's why they don't like the verse. The word end here means actually the object or the goal. Okay, the goal or the object or the fulfillment or the destination. In other words, Christ is the object or the fulfillment or where the law leads to. The law in and of itself is not the end. The law is pointing somewhere. It's pointing to Christ. He is the object. He is the goal of the Torah. That's what it's saying. And the reason is for righteousness to everyone that believes. And so when Christ was here on earth, he indicated as much in the familiar words that when he came, he did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Matthew 5, 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What does the word fulfill mean? To fill up or to fill full or to complete. Again, this verse is misunderstood and therefore some people uh, come to differing conclusions. Destroy and fulfill are not the same thing, according to Christ, right? He did not come to do away with it and destroy it. You see, if he was to destroy it, it would not be fulfilled. No, it needs to be in place. And what he does is he fulfills it. He completes it. So when he fulfills it or he completes it, that immediately tells you that that Torah is incomplete or unfulfilled. Correct? It needed fulfilling. Now, when I say the word Torah, this is what he's referring to here when he says the law and the prophets. There were prophecies outside the Torah. In other words, all the other prophets, you know, David and Psalms and all the other prophets in the Old Testament, they had prophecies that Christ would fulfill. And the whole package of the Old Testament books, Christ came to fulfill the prophecies that are contained there. But he mentions the Torah. When we talk about a prophecy, we're people of prophecy, right? When we talk about a prophecy, a prophecy points forward to something that will happen, a fulfillment that's to come. What do you call a prophecy that does not have a fulfillment or that does not come about? A false prophecy, right? Or an incomplete prophecy. You need, the pro you need the fulfillment to complete and validate the prophecy. They go hand in hand. Jesus says he came to fulfill the law or the Torah. The Torah needed fulfilling. Something to complete it, to make it a package. Without that something, that Torah is incomplete. Because the purpose of the Torah was to point forward to Christ. It had an end. It had an object. It wasn't the end in and of itself. I want to illustrate this in a, in a brief example here because this helped me and I hope it will help you as well. This is a road sign to Sydney. Now I use Sydney here on purpose because most people in this room, I'm assuming, have not been to Sydney. I know some of you have. Uh, I've spoken to some of you, but most people haven't. Is that a fair assumption? How many people have in there? Just so I can make sure I, I assumed right. Sydney, Australia have not been. Okay, keep your hand up if you would like to go. Great. Praise the Lord. Well, that's good because that, uh, that desire is good. Well, if you ever see a road sign that has this on it, follow the sign, you will get to the destination, the fulfillment. This sign makes a promise, right? 
It says, if you keep going in this direction, you will hit Sydney. Now, if you, the destination is the fulfillment of that sign. Let me put the, a picture of the destination there of Sydney. Now, if you show me pictures of Sydney, some of you, uh, you know, most of you want to go there. Uh, you know, if you plan a trip and you book your ticket, you're pretty excited that you come and you show me all these pictures and your plan and your, your map. You're pretty excited. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll say, well, that's great, but you know, I won't be too interested in the pictures. You know what? I've been there. I've actually been there, I lived there, I've, I've, I've seen it in, in real, in, in 3D, I've experienced it. So all these pictures are only a small scale illustration, a very poor illustration, sometimes accurate, but it doesn't reflect the reality of that place fully. You have to, in other words, experiencing it is a totally different story to looking at pictures of it. Now, <clears throat> I can, uh, Having lived there, you know, I can give you details and tell you information that you would never see in a picture, you probably even never read in a book, because it's based on my experience. This is a very important illustration. But no matter how many experiences or things I tell you, things I show you, things I share with you, it will not be the same when you go there and experience it for yourself. Now here's something that you will notice when you get to Sydney. When you're in Sydney, in the city itself, there are no road signs with Sydney on them. Do you realize that? It's probably the same in every other city. Why is that? It's pretty obvious, right? You're there. So if you're in Sydney and you're looking around asking people and you're looking for the road sign that has Sydney on it. What does that indicate? You have no idea where you are, right? You're lost, okay? You're looking for the Sydney road sign in Sydney, asking people, where's where the road sign? You're lost. Now, brothers and sisters, this is a very fitting illustration for the law. And I'm sorry, these uh, slides are all over the place for the law which points us to Christ. There are many parallels. All these things that we mentioned, all these illustrations and examples, the parallels apply when it comes to the law that points us to Christ. It is to bring us to Christ, a greater reality, a fulfillment. This is what a fulfillment is. And when we come to Christ, we have the greater thing. This is why in this new covenant, which Christ ushered, we have this change or new Torah, the change of the law, something different has come about. The law serves as a signpost that points us to Christ. What would you think of a man who is in Sydney and he starts a project of putting up Sydney road signs in the middle of the city? What would you think of such a man? To be a failed project, okay, someone's, uh, someone's making this signal. I guess this is an international signal of there's something funny going on in your head, right? You think there's something wrong with them. No one would do that. And, and if, you would, if you would try to recruit you for that project, I guess you would be hesitant to do so. Now, if we apply the spiritual parallels, brothers and sisters, you know, we, maybe we smile or laugh or think it's funny, but if we apply the spiritual parallels, if we have Christ, then why do we need to keep looking for the road sign? You know what it indicates? 
we don't fully realize what we have. The law is referred to as the shadow. Christ is the light of the world. There is no need to try and implement the shadow where the light is. What it indicates is you don't fully realize that the light is really here, or some aspects of it. This is why I wanted to illustrate it this way. Jesus told the Pharisees something very interesting when he said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which what? Testify of me. There was something greater than the scriptures, the living Jesus Christ. They had the scriptures, they had the Torah, they were experts in it, but they were not willing to take the next step to come to Christ. You see, Christ came to fulfill. The shadows of the old covenant, Christ came to fill out with reality. Living in living color in 3D. Christ is that fulfillment. He is that reality. He came to fill them out. And he is the object and the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. So instead of animal sacrifices, you have a superior, better sacrifice, Christ. Instead of an earthly human priest, you have a heavenly human priest, an earthly temple, heavenly, and all the different shadows, all the different types, all the different elements of this Torah, of this covenant, have a greater fulfillment in Christ. And therefore also the Torah of that covenant. That's why we're saying Christ did not come to abolish. If Christ came to abolish the Torah, then he did not fulfill anything. He came to fulfill. And this is why we must understand the relationship between the Old Covenant and its Torah, and the New Covenant and its Torah. If you are blessed by this message, please share it with others. Be sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Your prayers and support are appreciated. May God richly bless you through His Son, Jesus.